Hey everybody, Magnus here. A little bit of a mea culpa to sort through here. Basically, the intro that you're about to hear should have been included in last week's show, the one about Superman number 149. Basically, what happened was I made a sort of offhand remark about Adolf Eichmann in that story because the story itself makes an offhand remark about Adolf Eichmann. And so, at the time, I pretty much note, uh, noted that I really don't understand the connection there. I mean, of all people to mention in that moment, why mention Adolf Eichmann, right? Well, I got bored, and so I found out that Adolf Eichmann had recently been uh, captured by the Israeli government, and then... Uh, and then executed, basically put on trial and then executed. All of this happened right around the time that Superman number 149 came out. Now, the capture of Adolf Eichmann was, of course, international news. Um, you probably couldn't swing a dead cat around by the tail without knocking over a uh, newspaper stand that had tons of newspapers and magazines all about uh, the life and times of Adolf Eichmann, how he was captured, his trial, and likely his execution, etc., 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 and so really the point in all of that was to say that it was actually a very timely thing for the story to bring up. And this is not to mention the fact that Jerry Siegel is Jewish and probably has a perspective on the arrest, trial, and execution of Adolf Eichmann, right? So that's basically the intro that last week was supposed to have. Now, it turns out that I didn't actually update the intro like I thought I did. You know, could have sworn I did it, but apparently not. So instead, last week, you got to listen to me go on a rant about Brandon fucking Routh and his little attitude problem. Guy's such a dick. But anyway, and so what I intended to do was basically use the intro from last week, this week, and then re-record last week's intro to include all of that bullshit about Adolf Eichmann and its relation to the release of Superman number 149 that you just heard, but obviously I completely dropped the nachos on that, and so it just fucking it just never happened. So, anyway, I, there's really no deeper point to any of this. I just wanted to go ahead and throw it all out there, ideally while the episode is hopefully still fresh in everybody's mind, but we'll see about that, because I've long suspected that the big book report that I do with Chris Honeywell has a sort of unique audience that probably doesn't listen to the rest of my shows. And so, um, I don't know. But we'll see about that, I suppose. So, anyway. Now enjoy the rest of the episode. Hey, your attention, please! This is a piece of art. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. No! Dr. Doom wears body to conceal his own mangled form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. Happy 
Happy Halloween, and welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and I freaking love non-fiction comics. But, in general, this show is all about comics, movies, and TV shows. Now, my schedule for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is actually pretty simple when you think about it. The idea is to do six episodes about basically whatever captures my attention at any given moment. Then I throw in an episode all about Smallville. And then, also, there's a show dedicated to the DC Paradox Press line of big books. As a matter of fact, I call those episodes... The Big Book Report. Now, I've said on many occasions, and in fact just a few seconds ago, that I love non-fiction comics. See, I'm one of those people who believe that comics can be anything and do anything. And yeah, comics can be superheroes and that kind of stuff, and there's nothing wrong with that. I dig superheroes, so I don't want to give anybody the wrong idea here, but at the same time, comics can be so much more than just one genre. You understand? And that's why the line of big books appeals to me as much as they do. But I'm not the only one. Nope, nope, nope. There's another podcaster out there who loves nonfiction comics every bit as much as I do. So joining me as always is Two True Freaks co-host and former mortician, Mr. Chris Honeywell. Happy Halloween. How you doing, Chris? Thank you. Well, former, technically former. Yeah. How would you be um, any other type of former? <clears throat> Actually, we will get into... I have a story. <laughs> oh, for good. Later on in the I show. love <laughs> stories. Yeah. <laughs> a story that goes along with uh, one of our chapters in this in this book today. Awesome. Well, I say this every time, but you know, I just need you to understand, I really do like recording with you and talking to you and shooting the shit and everything. And so thank you very much for joining me again tonight. I know that you've had a pretty long day. We've actually both had kind of long days, but thank you really for uh, coming tonight. Appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. So as I was saying, usually Chris and I use these seventh episodes to blab about one of the big book series. So on that basis, which book is it going to be this time, Chris? This time, since uh, this one's dropping around Halloween-y time, it's the Big Book of Death. The Big Book of Death. This book is all about... Well, they don't really bury the lead on this. It really is... Ho, ho! What do you mean? Huh? I see what you did there. Ah, see, yeah. I was hoping, yeah, I was hoping someone. I thought it was actually going to be someone in the listening audience, but yeah. The Big Book of Death is, uh, well, like I say... They they pretty much put it all out on Front Street. If there's any way to check out, buy the farm, sleep with the fishes, become worm food, or go to the Great Roundup in the sky, this book is going to try its dead-level best haha, to talk about that. So from drawing, and this is hard to get all these words out, but from drawing and quartering to the electric chair. From there, it moves on to bizarre suicides, weird deaths, burial methods, and, of course, the great beyond in general. The reader learns the origin of the guillotine, visits cryogenically preserved bodies, and even sees how cheese can be used as a murder weapon. 
oddly enough. So, as always with these big books, the list of artists who drew this thing, it's long but distinguished. Now, uh, Chris, I always put you on the spot every time we uh, go through these. You'd think I would know in a, by now to ask you about this in advance, but did uh, any of these names stand out, uh, grab your attention from the uh, underground comics world? Well... You know what really stood out this time? No, not really. Not any besides the usual suspects. Um, um, I'm I'm always glad to see a Steve Lealoha art anywhere in there. What I was really disappointed this time, no Sergio Aragones. Um, and I don't think. No, I'm blanking. Who was the? Charlie Adler. I don't think he drew anything. Oh, no, you're right. I don't think there was a Charlie Adler in this one either. And if you think about it, I don't want to get too specific yet because it relates to one of my stories. There is an obvious story he could have drawn. So. Oh, yeah. Well, he wouldn't have known, maybe. Yeah. That that was. But coming back, as I shouldn't say always, but certainly as usual, Graham Manley. Yep. And I can't, As always. I, I can't not read this guy's bio because it gets better every time, except when it repeats, and those suck. But otherwise, it gets better every time. It says, on moonlit nights, Graham Manley can sometimes be seen wandering aimlessly among the heather-covered hills and glens of Scotland. His interests include graveyards and dismembering Barbie dolls. There you have it. I love anyway. It's not I, me, I swear. <laughs> I get such a kick out of these. These are so good. So um, anyway, but usually the way that it works, whenever uh, uh, Honeywell and I go through one of these big books, uh, he picks out two stories, and then I pick out two stories, and then we just pretty much tear it up. We talk about those stories, or at least those topics, and until we pretty much that idea runs its course, and then we move on to. Whatever's coming next. So uh, I totally forgot who went first last time, like the time before the Scott episode, uh, the big book of the unexplained, who went first the last time. And so, Chris, he won the coin toss this time. So uh, what have you got for us? Which two stories do you want to talk about? Well, the first one I got, uh, the two I picked out were um, Embalming and Cryonics. So they're all sort of along the same lines in in a way. I guess I didn't really think about that when I picked them out, but they are sort of like preserving the dead. But uh, I like the, the the embalming story. I liked it just because it reminded me of of a great high school story that I'll have to sort of tell very carefully. <laughs> I hope you do. All right, let's I like hear it. That. I, you like that for a lead in? I come I, I, no higher, dude. <laughs> So, so this one was, I think it was like two or three pages, and um, it was basically a sort of hot mortician lady. You know, she's sort of in the mortician, not in the Morticia Adams drag, but, you know, the very prim sort of dark clothing, but just a sort of hot woman talking to an old old lady widow about, you know, the process that's going to be who does not want her husband embalmed, so she starts telling her what will happen to his body if he doesn't get inv- if he doesn't get embalmed, which grosses out the widow, 
who decides to get involved. And then she starts grossing her out by telling her exactly what was going to happen <laughs> with the embalming process and a, and a short little history of of um, you know embalming technology and uh, you know its its origins in the 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 origins of modern embalming like in the Civil War and uh, then it ends with a creepy cheap uh, lifetime guarantee joke but um, <laughs> that the the reason I picked it is I always will remember in high school I was in uh, I was in a high school play and um, one of the girls in our play was very um, she was like um, you know in the student council and just a very popular girl very blonde very pretty fair faucet hair and um, she was I don't think she was the lead in the play but she was in the play and it was dress rehearsal night so everybody was you know putting on their full costumes and getting the stage makeup on and you know we we're in the band room but standing in front of the big you know getting ready to go on the mirrors with the, the with the stereotypical lights all around them and everybody's talking and she was talking about how she had been up late the night before uh participating in an embalming and uh well there's a statement you can't walk away from and i said how did uh, yeah of course and and you know she said it with me standing right there so i just could not resist being like how how did that happen and she i guess she had always had a fascination with with embalming bodies so she'd approached the local um um funeral director and told him you know i want to i want to be a funeral director what do i have to do and he was telling her you know what what school she would have to go to, or you know what kind of degrees and stuff but like uh, the guy was letting her <laughs> he was like hey you know every once in a while you can come in and, and help out and she was telling stories about somebody who died in a car crash and you know they'd been thrown from their car and as they died they dug their fingers into the dirt so she had to get little fingernail um, brushes and brush the, the the dirt out from under his fingernails and stuff like that. And she told these stories with such glee. The way I tell stories about finding great comic books and stuff, she was telling about scrubbing the dirt out of, out of a dead body's fingers. And then, and that was something... And it, it was really weird because I seemed to be the only person there who thought that was like really weird, you know, and that's me thought that was really weird. Everybody else was just like sort of like, ew, that's kind of gross and never really seemed to think about it. Right. But then the story started emerging about her boyfriend broke up with her because she was doing weird things like before they would have sex, he would get in a tub of cold water for a while. <laughs> she would have him lay very still. Oh, um, gee. Yes. <laughs> and the greatest, this is the days before internet, but you know how the whole internet, the, it's the, the meme of the picture of Michael Jackson eating his popcorn, watching, you know, it's the internet meme for, ooh, there's drama happening, I'm gonna... I'm gonna just up. enjoy the moment. Yes. Um, she was in a beauty pageant. 
that um, my sister's best friend was also in. And, the, you know, our family and the neighbor's family were all going. And they said, hey, do you want to go? And I knew this girl was in the beauty pageant, too. And they didn't think I was going to go. And I'm like, you know, I think I'm going to go to this one. <laughs> and wouldn't you know it, the judges asked her what she wanted to be when she graduated high school. And she said she was going to be a funeral director. <laughs> Jeez. It was great. And he said, so why do you want to do this? And she goes, I want to help people. I want to help families that you know, are bereaved and the audience went, ah, and he goes, well, have you done anything to pursue this? And she goes, well, participating in a bomb and embalming will be illegal, but I am going to school, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, Oh Jesus, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I was say cause when, as soon as, as soon as they were going, um, I was sitting next to, um, the the neighbor girl's father who's it was this big redneck grumpy ex-state trooper guy and he was not happy to be there but when she got up there i just started nudging him and going here it comes man <laughs> get ready <laughs> the fun is about to begin she did not win the beauty pageant by uh can't imagine why <laughs> Well, you know, it's kind of funny how much, how little of that sometimes it has to do with beauty. And I don't know, it sounds like except for her look, she basically was some kind of goth weirdo. So, No, not at all. No, no. This was, th this girl was like preppy, pre preppy, like white, feathered, feathered blonde hair and a white sweater tied around her neck, preppy. Like rich, not rich, but, you know, upper class family, like the most popular girl. And, you know, the what are the popular girls? She was that's what made it so freaky. Awesome. <laughs> yes, that's what made it. That's when that was in the point in my life where I realized that the people that are that come off as being like completely almost over normal <laughs> something something interesting is going on there sometimes <laughs> yeah the ones that are a little more normal than anyone else i guess she was living in rochester for a while but she was a real estate agent so i don't know what what why it never panned out but you know and actually your mind can't help but wander Maybe it did, and then she got caught doing something, and then she got run out of that business on a rail. Yeah, had to start another. Had to start another business. Yeah, because well, the the being a funeral director is a tough business these days. It's not a. It's not the, It used to be mom and pop home, but it's all like franchise places. So you're. It's. It's it's not the same as what people really imagine it to be. It's it's more of, like. Um, an assembly line. <laughs> okay, you know what? That actually really scares me when we've commercialized and commodified even death. I don't know if there's much left for us now as a human race. Oh, you yeah. You franchise well, death, dude. Yes, exactly. Well, you got to figure it's one of those one of those businesses that's always going to be there. <laughs> And, and there's only more and more people all the time. And, you know, there's certain things, you know, all people are going to buy. But then, you know, the farm is definitely the thing that everybody's going to buy. <laughs> so. But yeah. <laughs> hey, 
I still got it. <laughs> We're both making some terrible puns tonight, dude. This is great. We should keep it going. <laughs> That's what Halloween and big books of death are for. I mean, this 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 book does. Uh, I mean, this book does pretty much for every approach everything with a sort of gleeful dark humor. You know, it's uh, it's it's it's. Not a celebration of death, but it's definitely having fun <laughs> with it. Well, the uh, there's actually a pretty graphic, so to speak, description and depiction of what happens should you not embalm a body. And it just reminds yes. me of these stories that I heard. After Pope Pius Twelfth died, uh, like 1950-something or other, 58, 59, something like that, as many of you... Um, may know the catholic church tend not to embalm popes the reason for that is because they're going to be checked out later to find out if if the bodies have shall we say corrupted or not and then if they haven't thus begins the process of potential canonization i don't want to get going too far off the rails on that right other than to introduce the idea that he was not embalmed pope Pius XII didn't get embalmed and so there are instances when, you know, it goes off without a hitch. No problem. It just, it goes pretty, pretty well. I think probably the, the example that I, that most people are probably going to understand and relate to, Pope John Paul II, it pretty much went about the way you'd hope, right? Not so much with Pope Pius XII. Didn't exactly work that way. So bad was it that while he was, uh, I, I can't even say lying in state, but when he was just there and it was pr- like after the viewing and everything, the stench was so fucking bad that the Swiss guard, normally they're kind of known for being stoic and reserved. They could give um, the beef eaters lessons. Mm-hmm. They were puking all over the place and it's their solemn religious duty to stand there in honor of the fallen pontiff, right? And so, and and I can just imagine, my goodness, you know, what a, between the vomit and the decayed flesh, can you imagine what that place must have stunk like? I mean, and yeah, and you know, stuff like his eye sockets must have been sinking. Yeah, there's, it could not have been pretty. Or yeah, and so, and I'd be lying if I told you that I wasn't thinking of all uh, of all of that when I was reading that section of the story, and I was thinking, ugh, yeesh. Well, but, everybody's had a dead mouse somewhere in their house that they couldn't find that just poisons the air. And when you think of, like, a human body, <laughs> something the size of a human body laying around, it's got to be horrifying. There is a joke that gets made at the end of this story about, shall we say, a lifetime guarantee, right? And the uh, funeral director here basically makes the point that Look, the embalming techniques that we use are supposed to basically last long enough to, to... To get you in the ground. Right, and then after that, all bets are off. There is a very famous, very historical figure about whom I think it, it, it's possible that he may actually be completely 100% perfectly preserved. What happened was, um, I'm not sure if any of you guys ever heard, heard this story, but... Some nobody called John Wilkes Booth shot some other nobody named Abraham Lincoln. Shot him dead. And what happened was, as might be expected, uh, he had a state funeral. 
for which he was embalmed. So taken off, he was buried. And then at some point, somebody decided, you know what? He needs to be relocated. Dug his ass back up, embalmed him again. He was already in pretty good shape, but they embalmed him anyway. Buried him. Then somebody decided, you know what? No, that's still not good enough. We need something even better. He was dug up and embalmed again. Buried again. And then, this is the, as far as I know, this third time is the last time he's actually, shall we say, seen the light of day. He was embalmed. By a mistake, he was embalmed again. Oh, Jesus. And so the person was quoted as saying, I think all the embalmers just wanted to get a crack at one of the most famous presidents ever. That's all. You know what? It may well be. But at the same time, the price you pay for fucking that up, dude. But anyway, so before sealing the casket, I, I assume for eternity, he said there's a very good chance this body may never decompose now. Uh, it could very well be that mummified yeah basically in, in effect and uh like to the degree that you really can perfectly preserve flesh this could be it you know and uh it was just one of those i mean i'm of the opinion that abraham lincoln's entire life is one weird fucked up twisted story after the next but dude even in death it's a long weird twisted fucked up story all, when when you start looking in, uh, into all the presidents, it was just, in, especially in those days, and there were just all sorts of messed up things going on, especially uh, involving death and medical um, procedure. Who was that? Was it like Grover Cleveland? There was one president that basically was tortured to death. He had a bullet put in him, and it was near his spine. And it probably would have when when they eventually when they did the autopsy on him, um, they found out that it had grown like a you know little flesh nodule around it. So it probably would have been fine. <laughs> but um, he you know the doctors came in and they just started sticking their dirty fingers in his wound to see where the bullet was, and so you know he and. Um, when it would start healing up, they'd try to get it out with, you know, things that look like um, basically were like drill hand drills, you know, they would grind in there and he it just died slowly of infection. And with doctors consistently trying to remove this bullet from him. Right. Yeah, I, I've heard that story and it's one of those. You can only bear to read so much of it before you realize, you know what? They don't put shit like this in Saw movies, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, right. Well. And, and, and forget anesthesia in those days, you know? They, they didn't dare put some, you know, ether somebody out during stuff like that because they'd ether them right, right away. Well, yeah, and the other thing is... Especially you know, the president. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and you know, I, I, the stereotype that I always had about... Um, like surgeries and medicines and stuff like that from back then was that, you know, people would basically just get drunk except you yes. can't, that is psychotic. You cannot do that. Whatever you do, don't <laughs> fucking drink. It thins out your blood and then you bleed fucking more. Don't do it. You know? So you pretty much like, I guess like you could use different types of, uh, like hard liquors. You could probably use that as a disinfectant. A very weird, sure. very, very poor man's disinfectant, but you could use that as a disinfectant. You'd be just fine. 
that's about it. That's where the alcohol consumption really needs to yes. end. It may deaden the pain, but you're fucking yourself in the long run your if you body, do that. Your, yeah, your blood pressure changes, your body temperature goes down. There's all sorts of... Yeah, I mean, I honestly... I, well, actually, you know what? In the case of Grover Cleveland, that may well have been the lesser of two evils by that point. That, but at, at that point, it would have made him at least feel better about what's going on, you know? And you know what? I'm of the opinion that, damn it, the president of the United States deserves no less, you know? But, <laughs> ah, poor guy. Poor, poor guy. Well, what else you got for us, Chris? Well, the second one I picked was Cryonics, which, if... If um, people aren't already aware, cryonics is when they when basically, you know, picture people picture you dead and they freeze you, and they picture the the classic sci-fi, you know, giant tank with a body suspended in it, but um, that's not really what quote unquote modern cryonics are all about. Modern cryonics are about basically it's so expensive to keep a frozen body that you just they lop off your head <laughs> and they freeze that in um, liquid nitrogen basically or some sort of liquid nitrogen like container and what they put it very funny very funnily humorously in the comic um you know uh, for the, the 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 there was a story of the the guy who was the fir, fir, first uh cryonics business and uh his mother was the first client, which turned out to be kind of sketchy as to whether she wanted to be his first client too. <laughs> ended up going missing, also, which is pretty creepy. But yeah, yeah. Um, the the penguin put it. She died of pneumonia, and it's like, okay, so we're gonna freeze her till we find a cure for pneumonia, and then uh, they cut off her head and put her in a tank. And he's like, okay, we're gonna freeze her till they also find a cure for decapitation. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that's basically if you're cryonic. And I I don't know if there's still people doing it. I imagine there probably still are some rich people because it's got to cost so much for the process, the legal wrangling involved in it and then the upkeep that it's just got to be really rich egomaniacs that that can afford to do it or or timothy leary timothy leary's head is cryogenically frozen i've heard oh really and famously you know there's the the whole urban legend that walt disney is cryonically frozen which was funny because um you know at first at first that story was and I'm trying to think of what year Scott Gardner's going to kill me. But, you know, I mean, Disney died long before the cryonics movement started. So it would have. But if anybody was going to have cryonics ahead of time, I guess it would be Disney. But, you know, the picture was always like Walt Disney's body lying, maybe like Sleeping Beauty, you know, somewhere in a frozen tank. And then I noticed once the, you know, it became known that it was head stuff that it became Walt Disney's head is somewhere frozen in in Disney World or Disneyland but um and so you don't believe it or you do I I I mean if you had to really press me if I I'd have to say I'm pretty much 90% sure that it probably is is not true but <laughs> 
That still leaves 10%. I, don't, I do not think it's impossible physically or consent. I, I do not think it would be impossible for someone like Walt Disney to consider doing that. You know, he, he was the kind of person, not as much for like ego gratification, although that w- I'm sure was a, would be a, an element of it, but just for that obsessive, um, maybe someday I'll get a chance to do more of the stuff that I didn't get to do, you know? Mm. And, and I, I, often want to just sort of write off cryonics as silly or egomaniacal or you know just sort of a a denial of another human denial of death but at the same time eh, why not (laughs) if you know once once you're dead all right if you want to freeze my head although also that brings up the fact that I would not want to be the the first person to be brought back <laughs> from cryonic state because you know you might end up with just a head that's screaming in pain you know when when scientists start doing it and you never know who the scientists are going to be and what their motivations and and state of mind is going to be so you might you might come back on the body of a collie dog or something so right uh, <laughs> that I lo- would suck i love that they told the story with a with this weird talking penguin that just sort of talked in like two or three word little barked out statements usually not dead <laughs> frozen not dead <laughs> yeah he kind of has this rorschach speak going for him and uh i, I think don't know. he's I think he's sort of just like an id-like denial. I think they were parroting, you know, that these are people who are trying to escape death and stuff. And, you know, it's sort of an illustration of their denial by, you know, no, 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 he's not dead. He's he's frozen. Because at every step where they're like, oh, and then, you know, you cut the head off. No, not dead. Just just decapitated, getting ready to be frozen. Yeah, (laughs) very true. Well, um, the, the, I, this is actually one of those instances where I wish we c- maybe could have gotten uh, Scott on for this. Because I have actually always wanted to ask him, you know, does he believe that uh, Walt Disney was ever cryonically frozen? And I think he's pretty much the same with me. He's pretty much like, I, I think he, I think somewhere in the back of his mind, he knows that if he walks around Disney World <laughs> long enough, you never know. You might stumble <laughs> on, a, on a room that you're not supposed to stumble upon. But, I, you know, it's a big grain of salt to take it. I don't want to speak for him, but I remember I've had this conversation with him before. And, you know, it was, it was I think he was along the lines of, ah, I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> Well, I don't know. It's not like I ever met the guy. Um, now, one of the uh, one of the things that I everybody has a, like a few like really crystal clear memories of their childhood and just some weird fucked up things that they saw. Mm-hmm. And there was a time, and I don't know if it's still like this because I haven't seen HBO anything really in in years, maybe even decades by this point. But at least when I was a kid, we were an HBO house and. 
one of the things that HBO even then was kind of known for was, yeah, they would play, um, you know, they would they would show movies and whatnot that you know we all kind of wanted to see, but you know, you missed it in theaters or, or just whatever. You would see that on HBO, but they've got to fill the hours doing other stuff from time to time. And in the late 80s through maybe up through the mid 90s ish, one of the things that HBO was kind of known for, I don't want to say documentaries, because that gives it a, I don't know, a scholarly credibility. I'm not sure it deserves. Yeah, they weren't quite to the like Mondo shockumentary. Right. They were getting there. Yeah. And I think maybe one of the best examples that anyone can could probably think of is that sort of uh, docu, quasi-docu-series called Real Sex, mm-hmm. right? Which is basically, you know, they put it out all on Front Street, dude. It's about various aspects of sex. But one of the documentaries that stood out to me, which, just so we can be clear up front, has nothing to do with real sex. I'm just using that to introduce the idea of what we're talking about here. Oh, yeah. Um, They would have, at times, even more like educational stuff. And I don't mean like Discovery Channel stuff either. I mean just like kind of pseudoscience type stuff, one of which related to cryogenics. And I remember this one lady, all of this is kind of a build-up to me saying, I I will remember this lady's quote if I live to be 102. This lady said, and I mean with a straight face, she said, I am now immortal. I am here to stay. Quote, unquote. Because she had uh, either was going to experiment with cryogenics or had experiment or whatever. And honestly, that's where I have to get off this bus you're driving, all right? I can accept the idea, like conceptually, that there is something out there called cryonics and it's at least it intended to work a certain way and do all these things and whatnot. But let's not lose the definition of words here, dude. You are not immortal. I was going to say, it's all how you define immortal. <laughs> it's just all you've done is, assuming this works, slow down your aging process. You still have the same finite number of days. Now you're just spreading them out over a longer period of time. But don't ever think that this is permanent. Ain't nothing about life permanent, dude. And it just... And keep in mind, I was sitting there watching this as like a 10-year-old kid, and even I can kind of poke holes, like logical holes in this idiot's argument. And then as now, it just kind of made me wonder, dude, are people just really that fucking afraid to die? Is that what it is? It's a prime motivator of all humanity. (laughs) Well, look, it's not like I look out for opportunities to get myself killed or anything, but I mean, look, at the end of the day, dying is probably the one thing besides farting that we all have in common, you know? Mm-hmm. it's not necessarily a bad thing, you know, or it doesn't have to be. And people, I think, kind of turn it into this little bit of a boogeyman. I mean, look, there are ways that I don't want to die. I don't want to die by drowning in elephant shit. Right. I don't, I don't want to die from getting decapitated on a roller coaster. Oh, I don't, well, I can't speak for you, but that might not be so, so bad. It would be quick and it would be, uh, dramatic well, i know but <laughs> it would for, leave an impression well it would but the other but think about the dark side of that now all right for forevermore you will be the roller coaster guy yeah okay well it's a dark side to you <laughs> i don't 
I see it as a dark side. I mean, people are going to be making fun of you for the rest of your life. Yeah, they'd be. Hey, so. So, well, hey, what? uh, Trent really lost his head on that ride. It would truly be immortal then because it would be no different. And, I mean, the people who knew, the, the people who know me and, you know, know what I'm like would still have that memory of me and they would see the they would see they would be like well chris really would have appreciated his death anyway and then the rest of humanity can know me as as decapitated roller coaster guy forever and mock me all they want because that's the status quo is it uh, yeah, there would be more people mocking me than than now and that would make me even more immortal maybe i don't know um i mean does this lady think she's going to be immortal in the same way that, like, I mean, eternal Socrates life. is immortal because she's just the people are going to see her name on the side of her head cask, you know, for forever and be like, oh, there's Emily Smith, you know, or does she, uh, you know, is she really anticipating, you know, is uh, right after she dies, the next thing she knows, she'll be like waking up on an operating table with her brand new cybernetic body or whatever. I got the impression based on the way that what she said and the way she said it, that she meant this in a very literal type of way of eternal life. And I just don't, I mean, if for no other reason than sooner or later, it may take billions of years, trillions of, who knows, Sooner or later, the universe itself is going to fall apart. Lady, I don't love your odds, all right? You have no concept of what eternity means. If she's a Futurama brain in in saline solution and, you know, they got brainwaves coming off her, okay, maybe, maybe she's, you know, they hook her up to a webcam or something and she can see. Then maybe we're talking turkey, but... Honestly, I think if you're just a dead brain that's frozen. There's nothing going on. I mean, anything that's going on after that is is something for the theologians to figure out, you know. Could be. I don't know. I just I always thought and speaking of theologians, what this what this says about the soul, I have no idea. <laughs> but I always thought that, you know, look, you can come up with all sorts of elaborate devices and whatnot to prolong the life of flesh but when you come right down to it circuit boards are pretty fucking cheap it's it would not surprise me if at some point it didn't at least become theoretically feasible rather than to freeze your body to transfer your consciousness Mm -hmm. into some sort of computer or if you must be if you're just this much a slave to form into an android right and it just right, kinda... there has to be. It, th- there would have to be some. It, it would all depend on being able to copy the brain, and it would also depend on the brain actually being the source of consciousness. But if if you could get to a computer enough to where you could simulate to to where you could hook someone's brain up and dump it onto a a hard drive, and uh, yeah, that I mean, that's the transhumanist mu- movement now, and they're, you know, they're they're convinced that that's, you know, sooner than we think because of the exponential rate of technology, you know, progression. They're, they're saying that that sort of technology is not that far away on the human um, landscape. Mm, I don't know. 
Look, I I haven't really monitored the uh, technology, so I really couldn't say. All I can all I can just say is, speaking as a child of the '90s, it seems to me the easier techno technological hurdle to overcome isn't so much preserving flesh as it's as it is preserving and i can't even say consciousness but i guess brain patterns you know and ultimately that seems like to me that's the more realistic thing to do now honestly i think the history of technology especially in the 20th and god knows this century i think that the pattern is to don't ever sell human ingenuity short when it comes to technology if i think the saying like what's the saying it goes like if man can conceive it and believe it, he will achieve it. And I think the, the real testament of the 20th century um, uh, scientific and technological breakthroughs, not to mention, guys, let's not overlook the obvious, the fucking iPhone. Things like this tell me that if we can come up, if we can envision at least the end the end game that we're searching for here, which is some type of immortality, as if that's something to, to aspire to, there are ways of doing this. Now, maybe not quite as literally as they show you in cartoons, but I'm convinced that at least on a conceptual basis, the idea of it is sound. And uh, now, whether now I think we can. Now, whether or not we should, that's a separate moral argument, and I got no stake in that one way or the other. But I'm just saying that on the face of it, I mean, I guess my opposition to it is more philosophical than it is anything else. Like, I don't understand. Man very rarely – I'm trying to think of a time in man's evolution where we've drawn the line between can and should. You know, when we've been capable of something and that we've been like, let's not do that. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure if I can think of anything. Maybe cloning, but I've heard that they – there are people attempting to clone humans. I should say human cloning has has definitely been something that seemed to be taboo, but within our reach recently since we've been cloning sheep and stuff like that. Right. So, but it, I think that's illegal, but it's only a matter of time if it hasn't already happened. The nuclear bomb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, I, I guess my point is, I mean, look, the way I see it, and we're going to be talking plenty about morality in just, I think, just a few moments, but honestly, I mean, like, the morality of it, it needs to be a separate discussion because, you know, I can think of I can think of 10 million reasons why I don't want to stick around here. for. I mean, look, I didn't relate to, to teenagers and shit when I was one. All right, but it's a lot to ask for. To, you know, teenagers three hundred years from now. Yeah, I, I mean, they're not even going to be speaking the same fucking language, and here I am. You know, I just, I mean, look, I already kind of feel. At the time of this recording, I'm thirty three years old, and I already kind of feel like a little bit of a relic as it is. You know, I don't need uh, ten thousand years of feeling even more obsolete. Okay, I don't, and I, I guess I don't understand why somebody would want this. You know, I would I would definitely like I mean, it with with it with a finite li lifespan, like the idea, like the the only point where I would be like suicidal, where I could ever be suicidal would be like, you know, that there's a hundred 
wolves coming down on me and both of my legs are broken and I'm about to be devoured and I have one bullet left type of thing. Or I'm like 97 years old on life support and I can just reach over and pull the plug or something like that, you know. But if I had an infinite lifespan or a 10,000 year lifespan and I knew once I got past like 150, 200 years old that it was all gravy after that, maybe I could push a button and just turn myself off after a while or maybe you could maybe you could stop whatever it is that's keeping you from aging and then start aging at a certain point but i would be i would be curious in in life extension but i wouldn't be like it's it's not anything that would drive you know that i would be like mm, i must extend my life i would be i i would be very happy just having a normal lifespan or just having I've had a pretty good life now so if I get a plane crashes on top of my house and it's not going to be a tragedy you know and I remember somebody putting it really well with about the fear of death and, and saying you know so do you remember what it was like before you were born you know did do you feel traumatized about what you know what your condition was before you were born and uh, everybody's gonna say no you know i don't <laughs> it's it's it has no blip in their radar and it's like well then you know that could very well that's probably could very well be if if you're if there's no afterlife say if there's no afterlife if when you die you just like whoop, lights go out then it would be exactly like it was before you were born which is not a traumatic thought to me, you know? Right. <laughs> I don't know. Well, look, I mean, I, I guess everyone's entitled to, you know, have whatever outlook on this that they want to have. My only, I guess my only fear, fear of death is just like, in, in I, I don't know, just in any way of looking at it that I can think of, fear of death is like the most irrational thing since it's pretty much inevitable unless there's some great, you know, up to this point, that's the human condition. So live, living in a state of being worked up about it and anticipating it is just like ruining <laughs> ruining the life that you're so desperately clinging to. Right, yeah. And it just, it feels ultimately self-defeating, you know? And I'm, yeah. Anyway, and that's just the way I feel about it. Now, again, that having been it said... It years off your life, too. <laughs> yeah, the irony of it, yeah. <sighs> well... You got anything else what for do you this? Got? No, I'm I'm ready for just to see what you uh, pulled out of this. All right. Well, I'm gonna cheat a little bit, as this is gonna become evident later on. But the first uh, story that I have to talk about this is uh, from page 184. The title is "Are Zombies Real?" And the basic pitch of this story is there is a, I guess, a sort of plausible-ish kind of way in which, you know, there may be actually, there, there may be a way to um, create zombies. Now, this, I think, is attributed to voodoo, I yes. think is what it is, but um, it basically amounts to a reanimated dead body. And honestly, that's really not, you know, at least the presentation of it in this story isn't exactly what most people have in mind when they picture zombies now we live in such a zombie centric 
culture these days, or society, I shouldn't say society, but sort of uh, such a zombie-centric pop culture is probably the better yeah, way to put it. Yeah, it used to be a subgenre of horror fans knew what zombies were, and and everybody else thought that they were just a voodoo tale. Mm. But shamble zombies, you know, modern, like, plague zombies. But now, well, everybody loves the zombies, man. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that whole Walking Dead thing and the popularity of it, actually, there's a sense in which I'm kind of gratified by that. And at the same time, I'm also sort of pissed off by it. So, hey, welcome to being a comic book fan, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, nevertheless, though, I think everybody who's seen a zombie movie or read The Walking Dead or or, or what have you, everyone has kind of wondered, number one... What would a zombie apocalypse be like? And number two, how would I handle something like that? And honestly, those are questions that I think are so far outside the boundaries of human experience that there's really nobody qualified to answer that question. Right. (laughs) Still, it is kind of fun to think about it sometimes. But, you know, like the whole idea of, you know, like, are zombies real? Like this whole idea of walking dead people. Is this possible and it's one of those things that you know there's I, people who think that zombies are real there's more i i talked to a a coworker once years ago who was just like well if a zombie apocalypse happens and i thought it was just like one of our nerd conversations where somebody said that and uh you know they were like after a while it was determined they thought that was an actual <laughs> possibility well, possible way the world. I guess it is a possibility, but yeah, I, that was actually gonna. Yeah, I want to be careful in how I say this. Do I think there are zombies out there, like right now, and it is possible to somehow become a zombie, the way that people think of it when they see like Dawn of the Dead or The Walking Dead or, or just whatever? No. no, but that having been said. The idea of reanimated dead people, call it a zombie if you want, it's one of those things that it'd be nice to believe that this only became in vogue, like as far as popularity and sort of pop cultural awareness Mm -hmm. in maybe the last, what would you say, like five or six years? Yeah, like in the main, it it was becoming... A tiresome trope in the 90s amongst like comic books and horror fans. Every young direct-to-video director was doing a zombie movie because it's cheap. You just make up your friends and, you know, do some gore effects, which everybody wanted to do. And there was just this glut of cheap, crappy zombie stuff. And then... um writing on that George Romero sort of came out and the walking dead sort of came out with quality. Well, George Romero, you know, arguably land of the dead, another Canon dead movie and the walking dead, which was, you know, a fantastic story on top of that. And all of a sudden, and, uh, the, the re, um, remake of, uh, Dawn of the dead. And I'm actually going to be talking I'm actually talking about a Zack Snyder movie favorably. Hear me choking on those words. <laughs> <laughs> but I like that movie. And and 
it, those things just, and once it got on TV, game over. You know, I cannot believe there aren't copycat. Oh, I shouldn't. What was, what was that other movie where it wasn't really zombies? There were, it was a plague, but it was a zombie movie. Uh, um, 48 hours later, or, um, Oh, 38 days later, 38 days later. Um, when that that came out too, that was sort of on the the wave of the new quality zombie. You know, yeah, call it quality zo- taken seriously. Critics going, "Wow, what a great movie!" You know. Yeah, call it Zombie Nouveau. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that was and that one and Dawn of the Dead were where the running zo- where you started getting your running zombies and and stuff like that. But yeah, and now that it's on TV. Phew, forget about it you know i mean best there's best-selling books that are like you know shakespeare's macbeth with zombies and stuff like that so yeah <laughs> pride and prejudice there was another one yeah that's it that's it pride um, and some zombies the uh it it's one of those things i've never actually really bothered to research all that much but i want to be care again i want to be careful how i say this because i'm I, a nearly I, Zombie adopter, so... Oh, okay. Well, what I'm going to say is... Uh, there's a very strong argument that zombie... Myth, for lack of a better word... Goes back a pretty fucking long way. And... Again, I, I feel like I need to be a little bit selective in the words that I use here, but... There are conspiracy theorists and whatnot who have, shall we say, alternative views of history. And I'm not taking a stand on the factual basis of that stuff. I'm simply acknowledging the reality of it. Only to say that the some of these conspiracy theorists believe that there was, in fact, a zombie plague of some kind that literally plagued mankind eons ago. Pick a number, a thousand years, two thousand, three, six, who cares? It's all the same. But within, I guess you could say, considering the age of the world and the grander scheme of things, relatively recent history, which I would say three, four, five thousand years ago, in the lifetime of the Earth and the universe, that's a pretty, that that's yesterday, you know? Something like that truly did happen. Now... On the one hand, I want to instantly say, well, that's complete horseshit because of this, 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 and this. And then, by the way, they're fucking dead, which means you mm-hmm. can't come back. But you, there, there are so many stories from so many different civilizations about dead people coming back to life and menacing the living. It's funny. In a, in a court of law, we call that corroborating testimony, but in history, we call it myth. Well, also in history... You have to realize those stories come from before modern medicine. <laughs> so there could have been, there, you know, a story thousands of years ago about somebody who, say, had narcolepsy or something like that and was, you know, oh, we put the needle in him and he did not move. He's dead. And, you know, they're about to bury him and rah, woke up. That story could uh, develop. And be uh, be expounded on over the centuries too, or it could, or there could have been, you know, the um, like the Saint Vitus's dance, 
where they thought people were being possessed by evil spirits, but instead they were eating moldy bread that had ergot fungus on it that was making them twitch and spasm and hallucinate. Right. And and stuff like that. So I think uh, stuff like that's probably the more likely it's not just the more scientific explanation. It to me it just seems like it accounts for all the pieces it, better. It makes sense that with human nature and you know the 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 way the way stories evolve over time. <laughs> right, and I and, and you know what? I, I I completely get that. I'm just it feels like you know this is one of those things I wanted to do some research on before I shot my mouth off about, and I I, I at least want to give the other side their time in the sun by saying that yes those people do exist no i don't believe in it but i do nevertheless feel like we need to encourage that type of open-minded sort of free thinking about history i don't care how much we think we know and have documented history is one of those things that you always profit by taking a a sort of an open-eyed open-minded second look at you know that's just my opinion so Anyway, see, I think I think with when Night of the Living Dead came out, it triggered such a response in, psychologically with people that it, it it just it created a new genre of horror because it's dealing with modern modern fears, you know, which is you're you're we're living in a huge of uh, the the greatest population the earth's ever held that we know of and um if so, you know what if something goes wrong what if something goes wrong with civilization and all of a sudden civilization itself becomes your your fellow man becomes your enemy you know it, it, it's it's just a fear of the, the breakdown of civilization i think and uh and the fear of your fellow man if they were ever to turn on you you know, which if you know, there was some sort of civilization breakdown, there would be people hunting, hunting other who would be almost effectively zombies. They would be worse than zombies because they would still be alive and intelligent. Um, but uh, I think I think zombie movies really capitalize, you know, I mean, they, they started showing up d- during the heyday of dystopian future movies too. you know, the. The um, Soylent Greens and uh, and such, right. such as. Well, and I guess as far as zombies go, and there are references to other monsters and stuff like that, but I don't want to turn, even though this is Halloween, I still don't want to turn this into like the, the sort of the monster podcast. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, people are free to believe whatever they want. I just, I, I, I figured like we needed to give both sides their point of view. I just... I feel like I know which side I'm on, and the people who think this stuff it was for real, I really don't think I have anything in common with those people. <laughs> so, now as to as to the rest uh, of what I have, this is a uh, look. I freely admit that this is a little bit of a political issue, or it's got the potential to be. But at the same time, this wouldn't exactly be the first time that Chris and I have broken that sort of taboo. Nevertheless, if the idea of, hear- of hearing either of us talk about a – not politics, but a political issue 
if that scares you, then you, this is probably the time to just go ahead and skip forward a little bit. And, uh, yeah, just skip forward a few minutes, Jennifer. <laughs> yeah, there you uh, go. You know, you can, you can brush your hair in between or maybe pick some pick some posies and, and give them a little whiff, and uh, we'll, you can get back to the conversation then. There you go. This is <laughs> basically the first story in this volume. It's uh, It begins on page 10. It's called A Short History of Execution, but really it it's sort of an A to Z of the various uh, types of uh, capital punishment. And honestly, it goes on beyond even that. Um, that's really just the first story. There are several other stories that relate to, well, I don't know, decapitation. There's hanging. Uh, let's see. What else? There's a, there's a firing squad. Electric uh, chair. Electric chair. I think there's lethal injection. Uh, the list just goes on, right? And so, all in all, my point here is that uh, really no stone is left unturned. If there's a way to execute somebody, I think this is pretty much almost A to Z about it, right? So, my big problem with this is that the narrator keeps referring to this as killing people. And just the content, look, people, words have meaning. And, you know, the, uh, I guess the parsing of that language suggests a certain kind of victimization has taken place here. And I'm sorry, I just don't fucking buy it. All right. There are people out there who I truly believe are too dangerous to be kept alive. Right. And I think people like Ted Bundy are actually a very good example of that where it is possible for someone to escape from prison and then go on another fucking killing spree all right there are certain people who i'm sorry they have committed crimes that are so atrocious so serious the only justice they can ever really hope for is to is execution right i'm not asking you to agree with that i'm simply saying that's what i believe and that's calling this type of thing killing is maybe clinically accurate, but there's a mora- there's a moral dimension to this that I feel like is is being sort of left open, and that kind of bothers me because, you know, whether you agree with capital punishment or not, I mean, I kind of hope that the very fucking least that we can all agree on as a people, is that there are some seriously sick fucks in this world, and. One way or the other, they need to be removed from society. And I simply don't think that life in prison, sitting on their ass for the rest of their lives, watching TV and getting cancer from smoking cigarettes all day, and also gang raped by other inmates, is necessarily the more humane way of doing this. All right, I don't. Be- I simply don't believe it. You know, and nevertheless, I I'm not sure if that puts me in the minority of you know, among my listeners or not, but I at least want to open the floor to Chris so that we can at least have the potential of getting some good conflict going here in well, disagreement. I, um, viscerally, I'm not a, um, opponent of the, the death penalty because I agree with you. I think there's some people that, you know, just should be put down, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they are, uh, it, it, it's like Atticus Finch in the in the rabid dog, you know. 
a lot of times the pe- the people that really need to get put down get put put down before they even get to a court, you know, because they're walking down the road frothing at the mouth, swinging knives. Mm-hmm. My problem with the with with capital punishment is our legal system is not perfect, and you know they're fig- they're figuring now that's about a four percent. Um, rate of like executing people who are not guilty of the crime you're executing them for and uh oh i doubt that, that. people throw that number around i don't buy it well i mean they're they're finding there there's there's stories all the time of people who are luckily <laughs> now that technology is getting better that are getting exonerated because of genetic evidence or you know they found the person who really did it and stuff but yeah, they're they're lucky, <laughs> you know. They they luckily t- didn't time out. So the 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 thought of getting people who you know getting having the wrong person get executed is pretty pretty disturbing to me. That somebody who's going to get marched down and and you know. I mean, I kind of savor the thought, whether that's positive or negative, whatever. But I mean, honestly, I, I sort of savor the thought of like the person who's, you know, done, you know, whatever. I don't even want to, you know, come up with whatever act it is that'll get you the death penalty. But it's it's usually, you know, horrific variations on murder and rape. And, you know, I, I sort of relish in the fact that they're going to get that last walk and, you know, that the clock at some point they're going to be consciously aware that the clock is ticking. You mm-hmm. know, it's not like oh, I could have a heart attack in my sleep or something. No, you're getting walked down you're, and at some point they're going to be getting strapped in going, oh, shit, <laughs> you know, th- this is it. And uh I I don't know if that's necessarily a, a good thing for me to be feeling, but that's viscerally what I I feel with the people who do horrifying things. I can't imagine that I wouldn't feel a thousand times more like that if it was somebody I knew and loved, you know, right? That had gotten killed and stuff like that. Uh, but I think actually, though, if I was one of the, if if it was somebody I knew, it would be I would almost think I would have to. Like if somebody asked me what should be done to that person, I'd almost have to recuse myself from it because it's so obvious that there'd be nothing <laughs> for me to say. But, you know, drawn and quartered or whatever, you know, something horrifying. Well, and that I, that I get. But, you know, the thing is, and if I'm wrong about this, please do correct me. But it feels to me like your opposition to this is more in policy, not principle. So it's not, not that not you... in principle. No, I yeah, I don't I don't think it's beyond. I I mean the the thi- I mean it should be in extreme extreme cases, but I think we've also laid out pretty good guidelines of what the extreme cases are that'll get you the death penalty. You know. Well, and the the thing that people I don't since we're talking somewhat about about policy. The thing that I think people tend to either be ignorant of or else willfully overlook is the fact that a huge number of capital cases involve the defendant confessing. Yes. And so, like, for example, I think a good uh, 
Uh, well, there I were mean, the two guys they just set free. They both confessed, but they were both like, you know, 48 IQs and were, you know, grilled until they confessed. One guy confessed and then goes, can I go home now? <laughs> okay, I, I, I said what you wanted. Can I go home now? <laughs> right. So, you know, uh, there's confessions are confessions are sometimes it depends on the confession well and it, it and it does but at the same time was there any doubt that ted bundy was guilty of the crimes oh of no yeah no ted bundy was ted bundy's a poster boy for execution right or it's, here's there's an, nothing you're gonna do with ted bundy that's not gonna be you know if you keep ted bundy alive he was such a narcissist psychopath he he already had women who wanted to you know wanted to marry him and he would have people writing him and worshiping him till he dies and he would have so much stimulation and all the stuff that he wants as a as a narcissist psychopath he would have it for the rest of his life and there's no somebody like that isn't somebody you could you could never rehabilitate them and even if you did rehabilitate them most likely what you would be seeing is a simulation of rehabilitation that they're projecting. Yeah, he's he's got to be kept like Hannibal lecter if you're even going to keep him alive, you know? Well, yeah. And honestly, I isn't that in, in a lot of ways the less humane punishment? But yeah, like the other example, and I don't think Richard Speck was executed, but everybody knows that fucking guy did it. He makes no secret of it. He killed those women, right? And for whatever reason, I, I'm sure I knew at one point, but for whatever reason, the guy's doing life in prison without possibility of parole, and execution is just simply not on the table. And it's honestly, I feel like in a lot of ways, it's really not my business to second guess that. But at the same time, I mean, you know, there are cases out there where the person's guilt is not in question. Like, right. things worked out differently for Jack Ruby, but at the end of the day, the entire fucking nation saw him kill a man, all right? There's no doubt there that, you know, well, was there a second gunman in that Dallas, uh, right. da Dallas police uh, parking garage? No, probably not, you know? And same kind of a thing, you know, where there is such a thing as not just moral certainty, absolute certainty, you know? And it is possible to know these things. Like, or here's one, the, um, the Boston Marathon bombers. Right. Yes. If ever there were people who deserve to fucking die, right? Deserve whatever they get. It was them, you know. And then you get to the sort of like the other side of the aisle where you have people like Jeffrey Dahmer who were truly just very disturbed people, and you kind of have to wonder, like rationally, not emotionally, rationally, are they? responsible for their actions. And I think in Jeffrey Dahmer's case, the state actually made the right decision in saying, no, he wasn't. But end of the day, though, there are cases, though, where it is so clear to anybody who doesn't have an agenda to the contrary. You know? And like I said, we can debate policy until we're blue in the face, but really, somebody who opposes the death penalty on principle, especially some bullshit moral principle... I don't think I'm going to have a whole lot in common with that person. Does that make sense? I, the, the the moral principle like that I will accept for people that that they're like I am against. I mean, 
uh, there's there's two things that I'll that are acceptable arguments against the death penalty, and w- which uh, one of them is, you know, my big argument is there's the people who are obviously guilty, but then there's also the people who it was like yeah, it could be the the and this has been found again and again they've they've caught people who are about to be killed and you know it's a, an overzealous DA. And they don't. They need to get a conviction, and the, they'll grab some simpleton off the street, you know. And then boom, 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 and it'll be somebody from the poor section of town, and boom, 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 they're put away, and that's that's the end of it. Case closed, and the guy doesn't have a black mark on his record. There's been people like that who got the death penalty. That that creeps me out. But um, I'll 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 take the moral. Like if you're gonna be like. Yeah, I mean, there's people who are just against killing at all, period. And um, I guess that that's that's fine. That's what they, they believe in. That would be a, a moral objection. But the I mean, there's the religious. Uh, there's a lot of I mean, when you see the protests, you see a lot of nuns, you know, and uh, going off. Thou shall not kill. You know, thou shall if, if you believe that as a as your religion and you believe take that statement as a as a just an all-encompassing absolute statement then i would understand why you would be against the death penalty okay well now we're going to get into religion then look i've heard but that argument I, yeah, but, then if I, but then if i was one of those people i'd be like well it doesn't say thou shall not torture somebody in a cell forever <laughs> well yeah but the other angle though is that as we we're already talking politics, so by all means, let's talk about religion. If you read the Old Testament from which comes that same passage, "Thou shalt not kill," what you find are passages of the Bible where God is not just permitting; He's actively commanding. Yeah. Death well, that's, and that's execution. A, yeah, that's 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 the thing is, you know, and and there's people who there's people who dis. The, there's people who'll disregard that and take thou shall not kill there'll be people who'll argue you know well this one happened that you know the semantics of it to say well this one trumps this one or this one came first and this one's you know so you can find a way around it but there's people who when you know it depends on what you land on i guess when when you're doing it and how you you know how you believe in in what you believe in that particular religion as far as as killing goes because i just i think 90% of people who are who are religious aren't aren't bible scholars you know what i mean they they boy i'll say i will they, drink to that yes they they are they're there because they have what they believe in their in their heart, in their mind, and whatever their combination of belief systems, and there's some people who who grab onto that, you know, and and that's why there's a lot of like religious people. Usually, Catholics are usually the lefty religious people, but that you'll see them at the anti-war protests because they're just against killing in general. Oh, this is an action that will lead to people dying in it. Okay, we're against it, you know. We do we do not want this to happen, so I understand that. That's a pretty simple, you know, living living by your your chosen standards. 
And also, I mean, to me, it's almost no different somebody just being like, I don't like the idea of killing and I don't think people should kill or somebody saying my religion says I don't kill. It's almost saying the exact same thing, you know, when it when it comes right down to it. They're just saying my religion says that. Therefore, <laughs> I, I say that. <laughs> right. Well, honestly, uh, I was expecting, not expecting, but uh, somewhat apprehensive that, you know, maybe, just maybe, uh, <laughs> you and I were going to end up uh, reaching through the uh, the Skype line here and choking one another. So, wow. No. I'm surprised uh, it, that was so easygoing as it was. I am a veteran of so many political and religious discussions, that, and, I, you know, not, being not a religious person... I really have no dog in the game, but I'm also not an anti-religious person, really. I have I have problems with things that religion do, but I have problems with almost any anything. Right. <laughs> There's things that uh, everything does. The comics industry does things that piss me off, but I still am fine with comic books, you know. So I do, I I always I find conversations like that like fascinating and stimulating and actually like kind of one of the reasons conversations were invented so i don't know i'm not looking to like get in a fight with somebody as a matter of fact i'm more interested in talking to people that don't agree with me than i do like talking to people that agree with me too but there's not a lot to go in conversations <laughs> like that you know other than just sort of maybe you'll get a new little piece of information that'll back up your belief system or something like that so well and you know uh, uh, and when it comes right down to it, it with stuff like that with like stuff like the death penalty i mean we're a nation of laws so you got you got your laws pretty much you know your states that have it and the states that don't and uh I guess I'm not passionate enough about not being into it enough to be like want to be an activist towards it or or even argue passionately against it because I I I couldn't say I'm against the death penalty as a stamp down statement, you know. It, it it would it, it's as you can you've heard in the last 15 minutes it's it, there's been a million add-ons and stickers stuck to it well right and i think if nothing else the minimum that we could all agree on is that this is not something that you do lightly and it's certainly not appropriate for every single criminal offense i mean i don't think there's anybody out there who believes that purse snatching should be a capital offense right at the same but time though i just there was a time period though in the 80s and 90s where that where they were talking about they were talking about making drug offenses capital punishment and that was pretty that's pretty scary right i'm, well, I'm sure there wouldn't be any drug offenses in anywhere near my that i was liable to stumble into but it was just like yeah that's something you know I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of what I remember is that people talked about that, but honestly, it, the way I, I don't think it was close to happening. But 
talking about it is still can be pretty scary <laughs> when when you hear people starting to talk in that direction it's well, I think even would creep me out. I, I, look, I'm kind of a believer in the idea of a dialectic. If the idea is to just simply argue the merits of doing something, and then decide, you know what, this is wrong, then I think the conversation was worth having. It's not scary. Oh, sure. To me, the the triumph is in having the conversation and then making the right decision. Look, I'm a, I I am not. I don't use drugs. I never have, and at this point, there's no reason to think I ever will. Right. That having been said, though, does anybody out there think that you should uh, stand in front of a firing squad because you had a few ounces of wheat? Come on, dude. I Look, if anybody out there truly feels that way, look, God bless, because you've certainly got your, your principles, and damn it, you're sticking to them. But for the rest of us, let's just try to keep both of our feet in the real world, you know? reality yeah Yeah. and there was maybe i'm being maybe i'm the one who's being naive here but it's just i gotta believe i have to believe in the core of my being there was never a chance ever that that was ever going to come to pass and be like i guess a real prosecutorial outcome for drug violations i mean i i need to believe this, okay? Right. Otherwise, my faith, what little faith I have in my fellow man just fucking keeled over and died. Right? If we can't even separate simple matters of right and wrong like that from what really deserves the ultimate punishment, put a fork in the human race because we're fucking done. Well, there was, I mean, there was a lot of demonization of, of drugs in the 80s. It was a it was a uh, conscious effort. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Do it and and yeah, and uh, George- it, got, it, it got so it got to the point of where it was. Here's your brain on drugs, and by that point, everybody, nobody was taking it seriously anymore, and that was the side effect of all that hyperbole and and stuff that just didn't have basis in reality. You know, it was trying to make it into a black and white issue and. Well, we're talking about there's a there's a degree to which we're talking about addiction. Yeah. And addiction. And I don't mean experimentation. I mean, addiction. Yeah. That is not something that we should just gloss over just to be. a. No, but it's also something that almost everybody has experience with, whether personally, directly you know, there's a lot of people who've been, you know, there's a lot of people who've been addicted to drugs just because they had a knee operation and ended up on hydrocodones for a while and couldn't stop taking them. Or my dad got a prescription for over, got advised for over-the-counter um, Dristan for his hay fever and ended up getting pretty much addicted to that. It was a, you know, low-grade speed, basically. And uh, or you have people, you know, who just know somebody and have somebody in their family that's been a draw on the family or they've watched their lives crumble and stuff like that. So it's something people are familiar with. And when you start seeing it in the media being portrayed cartoon like, it just doesn't work. You know, people people know that that, that drugs are a problem is with. But they also know. That like, ah, you know, you got your family and you got Uncle Bob and Uncle Bob's 
a horrible alcoholic and you know does drugs or Uncle Bob's a crackhead or whatever and it's 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 something about Uncle Bob you know right. they start realizing that you know there's people who have problems with something you take away all the drugs and Uncle Bob will drink nail polish you know until until he passes out or he'll be if take it if put in a room he'll beat his head against the wall until he passes out you know and uh but that's that's a nuanced difficult <laughs> situation to resolve that may never even resolve which is so much harder than just going drugs are bad and you should not do them and we should put everybody away who does them and that's that and 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 that's the end because that just doesn't solve the problem <laughs> you no. know the problems and and okay we all decided it sounds good and meanwhile uncle bob's still uncle bob oh, this I, has taken a cheery turn <laughs> it really has you know I, well, I, oh that's right it's the death episode so well yeah but i mean you know think about it though you know we've talked about Death, we've, uh, just in general, but specifically though, throughout this conversation, we've talked about religion. We've talked somewhat about politics. We've talked about, uh, we've argued the merits to some degree of um, uh, capital punishment, and then along the way, we chased a few rabbits and talked about uh, drug addiction too. And uh, so uh, it's like a pretty much a, a standard episode of a big book report. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so far. <laughs> so, well, anyway, do you have uh, anything else here? Not really. I just would like to pause and say that this is my most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> Halloween time. But I just, I, I love this time. And I love this time with the, with the, in uh, Two True Freaks, because get all our Halloween podcasts going and stuff. And yeah, I just, I just love it. This is, this is my Christmas right now <laughs> well there is something i think that is sort of i don't know it resonates that this is the time of year when the weather really starts to change and honestly it there is something that i think is kind of i don't know spooky not the, that's not the oh, yeah. word but at the same time it's it's like the best i can do there's a like a chill in the air and i don't know it's it's it's, it's the cycle of death it's it's fall it's where all the all the leaves are dying it's it's everything well you know you're in you're in texas so i don't think you get like proper snow snow covered winter like we do here but it gets pretty chilly there right yeah just where, where you are yeah and uh but um i mean here you know uh, i mean uh, fall here is just the most awesome stereotypical halloween you know, you've got piles of leaves on the ground, so then all the trees are just claws up at the, you know, up at the sky. It's it's awesome, and it's got that that feel. Everything's, every, all the plants are hibernated or, or curled up and died for the winter before rebirth in the spring. And I love the weather too. It's it's you you can you don't have to bundle up for freezing cold but you can dress for a nice chill it's just it's nice well 
don't know, uh, Lewis Black has a uh, sort of funny routine about the fall. But, I don't know. I, I really like Halloween, and it's one of my favorite holidays. I really enjoy this time of year, and... I don't know, it's just, this is the time of year to kind of get a little bit quiet and reflective, think about, you know, the year that's, really now, it, it really is swirling the drain. Break out your rotten eggs that you've been keeping under the floorboards for the last 11 months. Yeah, and throw them at the, throw them at the kids as they uh, come to the, uh, come to the door. I say trick, motherfucker! Yeah, teach them what a real Halloween's like, mm. little softies. They're not getting it. They're not getting a bag of raisins and a pat on the head for me. <laughs> Fair enough. You uh, win. <laughs> well, where 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 can uh, people find you? You can find me as always at the Two True Freaks podcast, which is coincidentally located at twotruefreaks.com. and um, of course, all those podcasts show up if you search for Two True Freaks. If you look for Two True Freaks Two, because we switched from Libsyn it's a long story but th- that's where you'll find us on iTunes and it's just a zillion podcasts on all topics including this one which is you can't pin down the, the you're one of the non-pin down podcasts but we've got Star Trek themed ones Star Wars themed giant monster themes horror themes and there's Doctor tons Who and tons there's of comics, Doctor Who there's yeah, there's like Green La- Green Lantern. I always put that in the comics category, but that's even more so. That's even like more focused. We've got stuff that's just pinpoint focused, and other stuff that's shooting with a scatter shot of um, buckshot. <laughs> yeah. uh, whatever happened to buckshot, man? In the old days, in the old, everybody just shoots everybody dead these days. In the old days, if you had somebody in your yard that was a pain in the ass, you shot them in the ass with rock salt or buckshot or something like that. Whatever happened to that? Those were the days, weren't they? Yeah. Uh, just shoot the bastards. <laughs> you could shoot them, and instead of killing them, they comically would run away, scraping their ass on the ground, going, yay, 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 yay. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> all right well i think that's basically it uh for at least uh for us this week so uh let's see now have you given any thought to what you want to talk about for uh for our next time for the next one what do we got left uh there's, there's still at least a few let me uh, flip on back to the right section here damn thing whatever come on. ah here we go all right so um what we have done so far we've already tackled uh, the big book of urban legends conspiracies hoaxes losers the 70s the unexplained and death which leaves uh let's see there's weirdos freaks little criminals thugs uh, martyrs. Well, no, we can't do martyrs. Um, let's see. Bad. The Weird Wild West. Vice. And Grim. You know, I'm thinking I sort of want to say Freaks for Last, just out of principle. Okay. Um, but, um... Well... Grim, Grim makes me... 
That's intriguing. So oh, you... it's like the Brothers Grimm, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, never mind. I'm not as intrigued anymore. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Let's, um, let's go for um, Little Criminals. Little Criminals? Okay. All right. I let hope me... it's all about midget crooks. That... I kind of wanted to be uh, maybe literal uh, literalist about it too, but yeah, I, I guess we'll It'll see. It'll be a Randy Newman album. <laughs> Little Criminals, it is. That, that was that was one of his albums. It was with the hit short people. <laughs> That's great. All right. Okay, so I, I just added that to. Uh, to the to the schedule here, so I guess that's scheduled for. Wow, that'll be the uh, the first big book report of of the uh, new year. Of the new year, yeah, February seventeenth. Star Wars year. Yeah, I, I call two thousand fifteen Star Wars year <laughs> in my head. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. <laughs> Every time I think of two thousand fifteen, it's like ah, that's the year of Star Wars. Why is that? Because that's when the new Star Wars movie comes out. Really. It yeah. does? Yeah. This At is episode of- one, right? Like, they're finally starting to make, like, where the movie's, like, the... Seven. Oh, seven. I'm fucking... Dude, I, I'm fucking... Jedi. It's, it's, I guess, 30 years post-Jedi. Okay, Chris. I'm, yes. I'm fucking with you. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. All right, well, anyway, so... Uh, well, you know, I work with lots of people who would... <laughs> who would say so, so I'm used to... Just calmly explaining. Yes, yes, I go into the into the mode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, either way, so I, th- I think that's uh, pretty much it for uh, for this week. So it's to next week. I'm finally starting my ret- my Smallville retrospective for uh, season two. So that's where okay. that all starts. And uh, Chris, I know you can't wait to hear that. So uh, <laughs> otherwise, I think that's uh, pretty much it for us. So bye, everybody. I will see you next week. Tell everybody bye, Chris. Bye, Chris. <laughs> we are out. I think that's just about the end of that. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com, which is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can also find it on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus punches reality there you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when i put them up you can friend me on facebook by searching for trentus magnus which is spelled t-r-e-n-t-u-s-s-m-a-g-n-u-s-s you can email me and my parole officer at trentus magnus at gmail.com which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility 
of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promo section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy. 